Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me today at the practice facility, Mr. Omri Caspi of the Sacramento Kings. Omri, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, had a good day off yesterday and good practice today and trying to get back on a winning record tomorrow. What is, how is this team doing right now? You guys have been up and down. You win three straight. You lose two straight. And this has kind of been like the trend of this season, up and down, up and down. How are you guys right now? You know, well, right now we're a little down, I think. Uh, a lot of guys are hurt. And, um, you know, but we can't feel sorry for ourselves. We have a stretch here that we're going to play the best in the league. And we're going to have to find energy and find, you know, ways to win basketball games. How is the team holding up together? Are you guys, I know a lot of talk about the chaos around this team, uh, but it seems like the players themselves, you guys seem to get along. You guys seem to have a pretty good chemistry in the locker room. Are you guys holding together? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much sums everything up. I mean, I feel like we have a good chemistry within, within our, our group of guys. Uh, obviously, there's a long way to go, and, you know, chemistry should, should have better chemistry on the court. You know, we should talk better on the court. We should talk uh, on the defensive side better. We should communicate better, uh, but you know we're not really focused on anything else but but our, what we have here, you know. And we have 25 games left, and, and we should do whatever it takes to, to win as many games as we can. You guys, have, you've been here before when it wasn't all about winning down the stretch. It was you know trying to get improve and trying to play for maybe even a lottery ticket, uh, you know, lottery more lottery balls. But this year it does feel like. You guys haven't cashed it in. You guys want to fight all the way to the end and see if you can give this a good run. Is that where you think this team is? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to have a good stretch now of, of playing, you know, on, on back-to-back nights against, you know, the best of the best. And, and we can really see where we stand if we deserve to be in that conversation again. Uh, so we have opportunity against Oklahoma City tomorrow night. Once you get past this this seven eighth game stretch that's brutal, you guys are you know two games into it. Um, this schedule does lighten it up, lighten up a lot. Is there a chance for you guys to make a late run and push for that that eight spot? It's gonna be tough. I mean, and I mean, I, th- I think it's it's possible, obviously. Um, you know, but you know the history, you know, showing for our team that we lost to, to teams that we should have won and beat some teams that we not necessarily should have won. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, right now we're really focused on Oklahoma. If we beat Oklahoma, we can get it going on the road and get some wins on the road. We're gonna have that conversation again. But you know, it's it's tough. I mean, it's it's a long season, and you know, Portland is not waiting for anybody. They've been winning and playing well, good basketball. Same with you know Houston trying to get back on. I'm <coughs> sorry on their record. So it's gonna be tough. Okay, you guys. You do still, uh, you're not mathematically eliminated by any stretch. And the other teams, is, it kind of feels like some of them are just waiting around for someone to steal the spotlight and run away with this thing. And they haven't. I mean, Portland, you're right, has pulled away a little bit. But the rest of the, that group, they are still right there for the taking. 
I mean, do you guys still, I, I know the focus early in the season was nothing but playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. Do you guys still talk about it? Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot within ourselves, and I feel like we have a lot of guys that have been in this situation before to, to get to the playoffs or win a playoff series. Uh, but again, I mean, it's it come down to can we get stops? Can we, you know, trust one another on the defensive end, run when we have to, and, and get wins? Is it surprising to you that you're 13, I think it's 13 and 14 at home this season, that you guys don't have a winning record on this home court, even though uh, it's sellouts almost every single night and, you know, the Sacramento crowd? I mean, yeah, I feel like we played, you know, 500 basketball ever since, you know, the, the one and seven start. Uh, you know, and then it's tough. You know, I feel like teams, you know, coming in here trying to, you know, focus on, on getting a win, and we haven't done a, a good enough job to compete and, you know, be Sacramento proud. You know, even though that we got some good wins. Um, still, I don't know how many games left we got at home, and we're going to try to get as many wins as we can. You've got a lot going on yourself off off the court. You're you're engaged. You're getting married this summer. How is this? I mean, you you love Sacramento, right? This is the place that you wanted to end up, and that you've decided that like this is somewhere that you'd like to settle down. Yeah, I mean, when we came this summer and July first hit, you know, me and my agent, yeah, we talked about it before, but I told him I want to be back in Sac. I want to kind of. I felt like. You know, I still do that the ship is kind of start sailing in the right direction and we start building the right way. And I want to be a part of something as my career and my legacy goes. I want to be in something and not keep jumping from, from team to team. And I accepted less money. I mean, offers were better uh, to be a part of it, you know, but it's tough, you know. And, and you know, we, right now we're going to a new arena next year and, and we have opportunity to, to bring the city, you know, back to life. And I feel like, you know, we as players should have done a better job uh, and everybody around us, obviously. So, uh, you know, there's still 25 games left. It's not that we, I'm, I'm you know, making c conclusions and the season is over. But we have a we have a stretch here. We can we can we can make a big jump and maybe back in the conversation of playoffs. I mean, I want to be back in the playoffs. What is it about Sacramento that's drawn you back and keeps bringing you back? I don't know. I, you know, I, maybe I don't know. I feel like home here. Uh, I came when I was 21 and. I was a young kid from Israel coming here, and, and the fans really embrace. You know, to see the, the love the fans give us on, on every given night is tremendous. And, and those fans deserve better. I want to be part of. You know, I know that I can, I can help this team win basketball games and, and get to the playoffs and, and you know, win playoff series. So I want to be a part of it. And I feel like, you know, they all deserve it. All right, I, I've watched you from a young player. I think I started covering you your second year in the league. Uh, the the first year that DeMarcus came into the league. Uh, six years, you've known this guy, and you've got to see him grow. How much has he grown? How impressed are you with sort of the man he's becoming from where he was when he was a 19-year-old kid coming into the league? Oh, you, you really, I mean, the progress has been unmatched, really. Uh, you know, he's become such a force on you know, both hands, and uh, his demeanor on the court and, you know, the, the emphasis, point of emphasis, a lot of teams trying to stop him. It's, you know, it's really hard. You know, he's basically impossible to guard him. Is it a small guy or a bigger guy? Um, you know, and, and he, him as well. I mean, he's one of the, you know, the reason I wanted to come back here. And, um, you know, he as well. I mean, he wants to be in the playoff. You know, it's, it's his legacy right now on the line. And I texted the guys the other day that our, our future is on the line. You know, we keep losing and, um, you know, we 
you know, not making the playoffs and it's going to be trading in the summer and I don't want to leave Sacramento and I want to be here and the other guys want to be here. We love it here. You know, the city has been great to us. Our fans have been great. We have new arena coming. And if we not going to put everything and, you know, all the rumors and everything aside and not focus on the game and, and win games, the scene won't be here for long together. You know, they're going to make different changes. Free agencies, you know, come and, and trades and draft. So it's going to be a whole new team next year. So we have a stretch now that we can really, I mean, get back and, and, and help one another win. Is it about that for you, about pulling this team together and showing them that, you know, this is a last stand for us here, and if we don't, they're going to make major changes. And major changes could come even still this summer with regards to coaches, staff, with regards to players. I mean, but to, to hold together and push to the end here? Yeah, I mean, I feel like our mindset should be every given night when we come in out, you know, you should care about the guy next to you, you know. His future, his, his family, uh, and and that should be the emphasis, I think. You know, and if we're not if we're not engaged and, and playing for one another, this guy next to me might be traded, and his family, I don't know, he's gonna take it, and he won't be as close to to his family or whatever the case may be. So his future is in jeopardy, and and you know, we hold that we we hold that to one another. All right. Well, thank you so much for dropping by. I, you know, I don't want to end on such a negative note. Uh, you've got big plans this summer. Give us, like, what is it that Omri is doing this summer? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we have a big wedding coming, and, and, and wifey just left, actually, to go back to Israel and kind of set things up for the wedding. And I'm excited. I'm, I'm happy. Uh, you know, hopefully some of my teammates will come over and be a part of my, my wedding and part of our happiness. So I'm excited. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of HoopBall.com. AB, what's going on? Yeah, I thought we were going to have ourselves one of these run-of-the-mill podcasts where we talk about the same old thing every single time, but we're not. We're not. We got some interesting stuff. Okay, so let me take care of some business first. Uh, just a disclaimer on the Omri Caspi interview. Of course, he does talk about playing the Oklahoma City Thunder coming up. Uh, the interview, I actually got him on Sunday, but held on to it all week because it wasn't really topical uh, for game situation stuff. It was more of a general global conversation with Omri. So I wanted to bring that to the podcast as opposed to running it out as some other audio package throughout the week. Um, so that's taken care of. That was recorded on Sunday. Uh, and Omri is in a little bit of a, a, a dry spell. So let's let's get to, first and foremost, uh, we got so many crazy things going on, but the Kings knock off the Dallas Mavericks on Thursday night. They hadn't won in Dallas since 2003, a 22-game stretch. We all thought that that was going to end on January 5th when the Kings figured out a way to blow the game in double overtime, losing on the biggest heartbreaker of the season when Darren Williams buried a three from the corner and scorched them. Uh, those little games here and there that you could have won, you should have won, they've had a huge impact on where the Kings are now. What were your takeaways, Aaron, from this game on Thursday night? Uh, we'll go right for the heart here. They made changes. And I was shocked because there was the whole Tom Thibodeau thing that yep. came up into the news. And against Memphis, I didn't see a whole lot of change. I mean, minor. Um, what they started doing in Memphis 
was funneling people to the sidelines. And that's a big Tom Thibodeau principle. But it wasn't noticeable enough for me to think that changes were made in that game or even changes were on the way. But watching the game, I was shocked. I'm sitting there saying, oh, my God, they changed it. And we're talking about the defensive scheme here. Um, There was some moments throughout the game where you could tell they reverted back to their old habits. But by and large, they were hedging and they were hedging and going on screens. They were switching um, with more aggression. There was, but it also was limited to different players having kind of a different approach. So Demarcus Cousins, being the heaviest guy, was more apt to do the saggy switch that I call it, and and stay in the paint a little bit. But even he was making a concerted effort to get up and out on the shooters. This was just a big game changer for the Kings. They didn't play great defensively, but it it came down more to individual performances on individual plays rather than a team-wide ec- epidemic of of scheme issues. So my thoughts are that when Tom joined the team or joined George and and visited with him as coaches do, maybe they didn't have enough time to to really implement these changes and i believe i read that he flew with george to dallas and i believe he's scurrying off to san antonio and i think he goes also to golden state but on that flight or maybe they just had enough time to process all of this they rolled it out tonight and their defense again wasn't good dallas shot like 47% from the field i thought um but again it was individual defensive plays that really caused the breakdowns not the scheme. So I, I don't want to get too crazy about a game against Dallas who, you know, they kind of, the Kings match up pretty well with them, but this could theoretically on the defensive side of the ball be a mini game changer. Yeah. It, to me, it's, it's really, really remarkable. The difference between the team, even you could see parts of this in, in the game before you could see little pieces of it in, in the Memphis game. And, it wasn't fully realized, but there were certainly some aspects to the game that were different. So let's let's kind of round out. Let me let me finish up the Thibodeau thing. So here's a deal on Thibodeau. Thibodeau uh, flew to Sacramento, from what I know, he flew to Sacramento, and then joined the Kings. He took the team flight with the team with George Carl. He's been, I guess, hired sort of in quotations as a consultant for a few days. And uh, so he flew out on, on Tuesday. He spent uh, three or four hours on the plane working with George Carl. And this is at, according to what I've been told, it's George Carl said, okay, this is, Thibodeau has done this throughout the league. They think that they said something like this is around like the 10th team he's done this with. But he's kind of going around on the uh, the mystery tour that, we saw Michael Malone go on last year where Michael Malone flew out at the behest of Flip Saunders and worked with the Minnesota Timberwolves for a few days, uh, like a week, just to, to get some different you know, offensive approaches. So Thibodeau is with George Carl. He flies out. Then again, they, they fly together uh, from Memphis to to Dallas. And, and again, you're seeing some implementation uh, and then Thibodeau will stay with the team tomorrow, uh, fly with the team to San Antonio, 
have sort of the same thing for a few hours on Saturday, and then he'll be gone, and we won't see Thibodeau anymore um, until all hell breaks loose at the end of the season when we really find out if Thibodeau is is getting like the if he's kicking tires, if the Kings are t- kicking tires with him, if he's kind of figuring out what it is that he would like about this team and what he wouldn't. I'm just going to point out, I, I wrote this the other day uh, when when we were breaking this news uh, as it was coming out, that Thibodeau has a ton of ties to the Sacramento Kings. We've talked about this. Me and Aaron have talked about this uh, off the podcast, and maybe we've even talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but he spent time, he, he's a Team USA assistant coach, so he's worked with Rudy Gay and DeMarcus Cousins. Him and DeMarcus Cousins are very tight with the Team USA group. He's a guy that really has globbed on to DeMarcus Cousins. Same thing with Monty Williams. Monty Williams and DeMarcus ran all the time together, like in the mornings. They're actually close as far as like the group. They are, you know, two guys that are really close. Uh, Cousins loves Thibodeau's schemes. He loves the defensive-minded thing. Very similar to what Michael Malone does. Um, But that's not the only two guys. You've got the Rondo connection, of course, uh, Thibodeau was in Boston during the, what is it, 0708 Boston Celtics championship run with Rondo at the helm. He was the orchestrator of their incredible defense under Doc Rivers. Uh, and of course, the last guy is Marco Bellinelli. Marco Bellinelli played under Thibodeau for a year with the Chicago Bulls. Um, if it's not, is it just me, Aaron, or is that the guy that we really, we really saw it? Thibodeau, uh, as, as far as a coach, it it seems like Bellinelli doesn't want to embarrass himself in front of Thibodeau because his last two games is a completely different Marco Bellinelli. I I I, I might buy that. I think that Marco. His troubles are just a lack of athleticism, and there's also bad habits that I don't think he can break. So while he shot very well or timely, I don't, what is his shooting line? He uh, he went um, six of ten, so he did shoot well. He um, he missed on he whiffed on five, uh, two in the first quarter, I think, one in the second, one in the third, one in the fourth, just outright whiffs, and it wasn't an effort thing. It was he's just not able to keep up with anybody of speed, and so. Um, I do think though that seeing Tom probably gave him a little confidence. I'm sure Tom walked up to him and talked him up and, and kind of gave him a different uh, pitch. You know, I'm sure he, I'm sure Marco's as frustrated as any player in the league right now. Sometimes having an old coach kind of just say, "Hey, man, what's going on? Like, what are you doing?" and and get you out of your rut. Um, I'm sure that that helped. Uh, and then from there, I don't know if, if you're talking about next year. If the Kings could get Tom Thibodeau, I think they should. You know throw a little party at you know the old Arco site or, or you, know, <laughs> you know have a parade down J Street and, and lead into the arena it, it would be uh, that would be a way best case scenario for the Kings I don't know that that's going to happen but who knows I mean when you have a DeMarcus Cousins as your centerpiece this is a great part of a pitch whether it's free agents or coaches um, you know and there's obviously some things about DeMarcus that are going to detract from various coaches and or uh, other players but Again, I mean, and maybe this is a good time to segue into the other interesting thing that I saw. So for three quarters, the Kings run their their spread offense, and it's completely ridiculous, and it's it's just mind-blowing that they continue to run this stuff. But in the fourth quarter, they ran through the post, and they did it almost exclusively. 
and it really looked good. And and guys were getting open looks, and they did, even when they weren't running it well, it was resulting in offensive rebound chances and putbacks and fouls. And they did it early in the first quarter a little bit, and you saw um, Zaza Pachulia get in a foul trouble, and then you saw David Lee get an immediate foul, and then they went away from it. And this is the part that's completely frustrating watching the Kings because you see them fix their defensive scheme ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're just maybe five times better, you know? And then if you look at them and if they could just put together four quarters of post play through to Marcus Cousins, you're like, okay, well, now this team could make some noise. Now it's obviously late in the season. They got a long way to go before we could even start to really, really realistically talk about them in a playoff sense. But getting a road win in Dallas when, Everybody, I'd say, minus probably the players' mothers, expected them to fold. That's a big deal for this team. Now they got to go to San Antonio. That's not good. But no, no. If they can, if they can get out of this, <laughs> if they could get out of San Antonio with some semblance of maintaining their scheme, and then work through Demarcus in the post, I, I, I the, the kind of crazy thing about this run here is uh, this road trip is that. There have been centers or these last few games. There have been centers where DeMarcus works well on the outside against um, DeAndre Jordan. I don't buy that, like, against the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, Zach Randolph, he's a tough player, but uh, you pound that guy. And you pound Chris Anderson, who's basically got no knees. And you pound Jamichael Green, who's their third big man. And then they don't have anybody left to defend you with because you've pounded them into foul trouble and they've got nowhere else to go. So I don't buy that you you go outside against Memphis, but against Zaza Pachulia, I do buy that you can play him outside. And sometimes the spread offense tonight worked really well with DeMarcus taking Zaza Pachulia off the dribble, but you still get, and I want to see somebody out there because I don't have the time to do this right now, but every time DeMarcus takes a drive and misses, I bet the opposing field goal percentage for the, for the other team is very, very high because even if he lands on his feet, he's slow to get, his momentum back to the other side of the court and it's a four on five. So that, it, that alone to me would be one reason why I just stopped doing that because yeah. it doesn't work when he, he misses. And so um, I guess if you could go to San Antonio and you can hold some of these, these positive steps forward together, you come out of this looking pretty good. Yeah, I like the two-man game that I've seen out of Rondo and DeMarcus, and, and they've been running it with Collison as well, a, a little two-man game. Um, I, I think DeMarcus has passed a lot better of late. Um, you know, he had the, the big, you know, he had 35 points, but on 33 shots against OKC, and they fed him in the post like nobody's business in that game. I mean, he was in the post the whole game. When he got to Memphis, though, he he got in early foul trouble and it was really stupid ticky tack stuff, which we haven't seen cousins do a lot of that in a long time. I think people have kind of missed that point that cousins stopped doing the one or two a game where he just reaches out and grabs somebody. Um, that that's gone, which, so we really haven't seen cousins in foul trouble in a while, but the, the Memphis game, it was a boom, boom. Zach Randolph sensed it. And he went right at Cousins two plays in a row and picked up fouls. And boom, he was on the bench. And then he came back in and he got another foul on what was a pretty soft call. Um, and and honestly, Cousins still, he doesn't get any calls. And I completely understand why he doesn't get any calls. 
because the officials don't particularly like him, but he doesn't get any calls. And so it becomes an issue of maybe if you kept your mouth shut a few times and just let this thing play out, you'd start earning some of those calls, the, the respect that the officials give uh, other superstar players. But, you know, I, I think... Well, you I, have a good answer. I have a good answer for that is you don't have him cover Zach Randolph because when you have basketball checkmate in your hand, which is DeMarcus Cousins going through a very undersized front line, you can put anybody on Zach Randolph. And even if Zach Randolph gets off, you know, that is something you can live with. You can't live with DeMarcus Cousins being in foul trouble because it impacts everything. The way he plays, he can't be as aggressive. Yeah, but if you're switching all the time, sometimes it happens. I think that's, he got caught on switches a couple of times. He also, I think he got caught racing back and having Randolph come down and, and instantly come to him to post up. Uh, so, you know, he kind of, you know, the defensive switches thing, it, it does, it makes, it makes it difficult. And if, uh, Memphis is going to guard, going to guard you with Zach Randolph on one end and then run down to the other end, usually you tag along with a guy that, that is guarding you, although you should be switching in that situation. But I, I think the Kings have still have the issue of getting isolated on other players. I mean, we saw it again in Dallas where Dirk was being guarded by Darren Collison and uh, uh, and Rondo again and again. And I thought Rondo did a great job of slapping the ball out anytime Dirk started putting it on the floor. Which Rondo, is- Rondo was reading Dirk like a book. This was an experienced yeah. game out of him. I watched him have about four plays where he just knew Dirk's playbook and he ran up and stuffed the play. And yeah. on that one switch you're talking about, Dirk did a sprint out to the three-point line. It was an appropriate switch in that case, and uh, I believe he forced a miss there. And then he got – this one was, I think, a little less appropriate. The, the one you're talking about where he slapped it out it was a key play late in the fourth. That was just – he knew that Dirk was going to go to that spin move, I believe is what it was. And as he's bringing the ball up, Rondo just timed it perfectly and just slapped it right out. So he had a couple of those, but he also had a couple of classic Rondo – not going to uh not going to slide over and get in that guy's way plays and that was really frustrating because i believe it almost i think that might have been the play that got willie collie stein benched for six minutes um willie collie stein was covering chandler parsons and when you cover a shooter you go on the outside of the screen and then you get shaded help from whoever is guarding the pick man and rondo did not slide over to cover the nail and so willie goes over the top and instead of having somebody to slow Chandler down Chandler curls off of it and gets a layup. And the next thing you know, Willie's out of the game and I don't know what is going on with that. Willie's played so good the last couple of weeks. I don't know either. I mean, he played, he played a total of six minutes, right? Against six Dallas. minutes. Yeah. That, six minutes, man. I'm, that didn't make any sense at all. And you know what? The funny thing is George has used him so strangely. I, I, I don't even know how else to put it. I mean, George had him go defend uh, Kevin Durant. Like, that was his guy. He came into the game to defend Kevin Durant. And, like, what is it that you expect out of Willie Cauley-Stein in that situation? I think if you built a player to cover Kevin Durant, it would be Willie. But, God, he's a rookie. Yeah, that's the problem. That's and, the problem. I mean, yeah, he plays hey, off by two feet, and then Durant just boom, 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 and killed you. And you're like, Hey, hey go oh, cover Kevin nice. Durant. That's That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't really know what's going on there with Willie Cauley-Stein. I, I do know that Quincy AC has played extremely well during certain stretches. And, Not tonight. 
Yeah, but I, I think the one thing that, that really gets missed about AC is that if you, again, we can talk about like the value of one game and not, but Rudy Gay a negative four in the plus minus, DeMarcus Cousins a negative four, and Rajon Rondo a negative two in the plus minus. And Quincy AC is a plus one, and Ben McLemore is plus three. And if you look at Quincy AC's advanced statistics for the for the season, it's very it says the same thing. I mean, somehow Quincy AC has an ability to really, really affect the the play and the offensive and defensive efficiency of a team. I don't know how he's doing it. I mean, at this point, again, he's not he's he doesn't have enough minutes to really make some incredible like statement about what he's doing but he started 13 games this season he's he's played in 36 he his offensive rating is a 128 and his defensive rating is a 108 he hasn't i'm pro ac i mean i think he should be in the game for 16 minutes exactly what he got tonight just tonight he just to me if you're looking at him like he 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 got blown by a couple times he's got lateral quickness issues in certain cases and Beyond that, I have zero problem with him playing more than 16 minutes because that guy brings it. He lays the wood. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the combination dunks on, um, you had Willie Cauley-Stein and Quincy A.C. dunking on Memphis the other night. Oh, my gosh. My God. And that's that's really important for a team, especially um, Quincy, or Willie Cauley-Stein, to get that kind of a dunk off. Oh, my God. You know, he looked, and it was funny when he dunked on Zebo, he stared him down. <laughs> And then right as Zemo turns around, he's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not looking at you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that not AC. AC, like... Oh, AC don't care. He just hung, and he wrapped his legs all around Chris Anderson. I, I don't think I'd want to touch Chris Anderson, i got to be honest. Like, you worry that you land on the ground, and all of a sudden you have, like, four new tattoos. You're like, wait a sec, what just happened there? It's like, I don't remember getting this tattoo, um, Speaking of what just happened, our, our good friend Samuel Amick just tweeted out that uh, as the King's Eye front office talent to join Vlade Divac, I'm told former Nets exec Bobby Marks interviewed at Facility. T- facility, I can talk today. Interesting. Breaking Interesting. news on the on the pod. There it is. Breaking news. Bobby Marks. That's a uh, that's an interesting. So the. Like Vladi's looking for somebody to help with sort of day to day stuff, uh, like I, I don't want to say like clerical, but really to to do a lot of the the other the stuff that he doesn't really know, the experience stuff, and he's still going to be making basketball decisions. But a guy like Bobby Marks knows salary cap really well. He knows uh, he knows talent, and he knows how to how to run a front office. So that is an interesting interesting tidbit that. Uh, We'll have to get on after after we're done on the podcast. So, um, okay, so let's get back to some of the stuff that we're we're seeing on in this game and or this series of games. Did the Kings just kind of admit defeat and know that they were going to lose those four straight, or do you? I mean, because I think Memphis was a winnable game, but overall, it just looked like they got defeated again. I'm really just taken back by the Tom Thibodeau thing, just because. This this team had no evidence to show that they were going to change anything at all. And you sit there and you look at the remaining schedule. And if if they're not changing anything, I would say they go like four and, you know, 20, whatever the, the <laughs> math is on that. Like I'm I, I'm just 
really taken back that you bring in a guy who's he's going to look at the defense and he's going to go, oh, my God, what in the heck are you guys doing? And then even offensively, there's no way that Tom Thibodeau doesn't go to DeMarcus Cousins in the post if he is the coach. There's just no flat out. It's not going to happen. And to see that change happen, it really changes the dynamic of the rest of the season. Now that we look at the, the schedule and you see that they go to San Antonio, then they go to New Orleans in a winnable game. Cleveland is going to be tough, obviously, but they're struggling a little bit. Orlando winnable. Utah has been struggling, but unfortunately they might get their struggles out of their system by the time they play. And you also got Rudy Gobert there to, to be a, a DeMarcus Thwarter. But then you get Los Angeles, New Orleans. Detroit is pretty tough, but winnable. New York is winnable. Chicago could completely implode by then. Minnesota, winnable. Phoenix, they're the worst team in the league. Dallas again at home. They match up great against Dallas. Portland has to have some adversity hit. That will be a key game for the playoff chase. Point being, Washington after that, geez, Denver pretty close after. There are a lot of winnable games. So I think I would have closed the book on their playoff chances if Tom Thibodeau didn't show up. That's that's my thought there. Interesting. Yeah, see, I looked at the schedule too, and I always look at this time of year for the teams that I know are going to quit playing. And there are a stack of teams that are going to quit playing. I mean, on occasion, you run across a team that's that's young and hungry. And actually, the last couple of years, well, before last year, the previous couple of years, the Kings had moments where they were that team, where they, they just kind of cashed it in and you knew that it was it was going to happen and you're just going to get run over. And so I, I think that if I look at the schedule that's remaining, I think there are eight eight games that are are throwaways for other teams and that's tremendous if you've got eight games that you think that you can if you're going to go in with effort that you should win then you really really got a good shot so a team like orlando the a team like the lakers um you know again minnesota phoenix twice uh those are the that's five right off the the bat that you know that you're going to walk in and those teams you got a really good chance to win again minnesota again You've got Denver, and so I think just in those games alone, if you can pick up eight, then Aaron gets the road to 33. (laughs) (laughs) I was just counting games here. We got at least, I'm counting 9, 10, 11, 12 of the 21, I believe, games that are remaining are against teams that are bona fide struggling. Yeah. Like, really struggle. I'm not counting like Dallas. I'm not counting uh, Miami I'm, who's playing well. I'm not counting even Washington. I'm not counting Portland. I'm you have counting to count the Knicks. The Knicks are, are a gimme. They're I'm, yeah, not, not I'm, a gimme, well, but they're a team that you walk in knowing that they don't really care whether they win or they lose. And their management would probably prefer that they lose rather than win. Yeah, whatever I just said, 11 or 12 games against teams that are bona fide struggling and likely to continue to be struggling out of the 22 remaining games. So when we look at the standings, what do we got? What are they at after tonight? 25 and 35. Yeah. 25 and 35, and they are four and a half back of the Rockets, who, by the way, are terrible. That is a terrible (laughs) basketball team now. So that means they're out. Like Houston will not make the playoffs. Um, You're convinced because Utah's fading. 
Well, the thing with Utah is they're going to get Alec Burks back. That's going to be kind of like a the 10 games from now. That'll matter. Um, they can't struggle as much as they've struggled. They're at the bottom of their – all of their players are performing at the bottom of their their capabilities right now. That They will bounce back. They're not going to go – Utah is 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. They're not going to keep that pace up. They're going to balance that out. They'll go 5-5 five and five over the next 10, if not like 7-3. and three. I think Utah is in. And then the key for the Kings, I don't think, well, they definitely can't catch Memphis. And that's really too bad. That game against Memphis was really a, a killer for them. But going down the list, if they can get hot and maybe surpass the Jazz or the Blazers, I'm, the Blazers have not had any adversity all year. And they are playing as well as possible. I believe they've won like 20 of 22 games. These things even themselves out over time. I could see Port, the, the, the way this works is you get Dallas or Portland slips. Houston's definitely going to slip. Utah's going to be in. You need some combination of those four teams to have two of them slip. And then the Kings have to go on a serious run through those. You know, they got to win, say, nine of those 12 kind of gimme, not gimme, but against struggling teams. They got to go nine and three in those 12 games. And then I think they're onto something, but they're, they're going to have to really pull. I mean, I, I don't think that they're a playoff team and I don't, I don't want to get anyone's hopes up and say, I think because every time I think that they might figure something out, they just fall flat on their face. So, I mean, even over the, the next three games, they could either, they could win zero of the three. They could win one. Or they could win two. Uh, they can't go three and zero because there's no way they're going to beat the Spurs. So, but I do think they could beat the Cavs. They could beat the Pelicans and the and the Cavs. And then they could, if you get past the Spurs game, then they can actually go on a little mini run and and then boom, all of a sudden some excitement. The thing I'll look at is that they're four games behind Houston in the loss column, and that's substantial. And and they're six games behind uh, the the Portland Trailblazers in. Houston. Houston, and just signed, Houston just signed Michael Beasley to shore up their their front court. Yeah, that's so that's so horrible. And he's like, why did they buy out uh, Lawson? And I mean, they just did so many weird moves to just give up the season. They're trying to lose. They're 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 that locker room is in a bad place right now, and they have so many different random issues. I mean, everybody's an injury risk. It's outside of James Harden. They are going. They they will not make the playoffs. Um, I, I count them as one of the four teams that needs to slip for the Kings to get in. The problem is that it's going to come down to Utah. So if I'm right on Utah, that's real bad news for the Kings fans because then you're talking about a team out of the Dallas and Portland group that's 23 back with the Kings seven, guys, seven games behind them. Making up seven games in a 22-game span is very difficult. It's going to require one of those two teams to crash or Utah to not be as good as I'm saying they are. Well, the so, Kings are only four games behind Utah. Actually, they're three and a half games behind Utah after, after the win tonight. And, uh, and they're, they're four and a half behind Dallas. I mean, yeah, I not behind at, Dallas. I got three behind jazz, but the, uh, no. Oh, is it three? Well, they're, they're four and a half behind Houston. I know that for a fact. Um, after okay, so three. I mean, I'll, oh, yeah, I'll you're simpl- right. You're right. I'll three. simplify three it like this. Utah. That's not that bad. If if the Jazz aren't as good as I'm saying they are, 
this opens things up because then they just got to beat one of those two teams. They just got to beat Utah or Houston. And I think Houston's out. So they would just have to beat the Jazz. So if you're a Kings fan, you're going to be now an opposing, you're going to be a fan of whoever the Jazz are playing against. I you think you're going to be a fan of both uh, uh, because Utah is right. I mean, Houston and Utah, I mean, it, the lead is big enough that it's going to be difficult to overcome. I mean, Houston's, the Kings have to Houston's actually gonna win finish, games for us to have this conversation. <laughs> Houston's going to finish 10th or worse. That's my prediction on, on this show. And then Portland and Dallas, if, if Utah is good, then you got to have Dallas or Portland go through a serious losing streak. Portland's been playing way over their head, and Dallas is one key injury away. And you also get Dallas another time here, Kings fans. But Dallas is one injury away from being in, in deep trouble. And you Maybe. get Houston. You get Houston one more time, too. And, and if you get past this this next three games, you don't have another game against Golden State um, or San Antonio. I think you you do have – is there one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the King's one more schedule left against be, OKC. The Kings schedule might be the softest in the league. Looking at it, I – It's I, soft, yeah. It is really soft. So – that's but I think how it be, breaks down. You got to be 500, which means the Kings have to play nine games above 500 during that stretch. And can they do that? Because you got 22 games, so you're talking about 17 and five, seven, 16 and six. They got to go 16 and six to do that. Yeah, that's 10, right? And that's 22. Yeah, so 16 and six. So six more losses. That's tough for me to not believe that there's not six more losses on the schedule, especially when I know that two of the next three are almost guaranteed losses. And, and so then you're talking about four. I mean, you only get four losses over a 20-game stretch. And this Kings team has never proven to me that they can go 10-2 and two twice or even once in a stretch. If, so. if they can get out of the spread offense for even half of the games... And and really, I mean, what what was so great about them? Dallas had a plan, like this exotic zone coverage. Anytime Demarcus went below the three point line, they zoned him up. And then I thought that the Kings might have done this on purpose, but maybe not. They started bringing Demarcus up to the foul line when the when the the Mavs were zoning to give him better passing angles. But that might have been accidental. Um, I don't think it's that, accidental. I, I mean, I I think that they they are starting to just. Say, look, there are other concepts out there that we know, and we have to do them. And, and I'm, I'm almost wondering, like, how did they approach the Thibodeau thing? Because that's, that's going to be one of those weird things that we're probably never going to know. But did Thibodeau, like, sit there? Because they've only had, like, two shoot-arounds. So did he go into a shoot-around and, like, have conversations? Did he go one-on-one -on -one with individual players? What is it that – or did he just, like, like go out to dinner and have – and have drinks and, and dinner with George Carl, and they just, you know, had long conversations about basketball and decided that they could do this and this and this. I mean, I don't know. It, it's To me, it's really interesting. There's a distinct, I mean, talking just defense, I don't buy that they went to DeMarcus in the post a whole lot since the last three, four games. I mean, going to DeMarcus in the post is like uh, watching, if you did it the right way, you'd do it the way that Houston did it with Akeem. You know, you got your spot up shooters everywhere. It's very methodical. It's the way that yeah, yeah. It's the way that Cousins puts the ball on the post to Rudy Gay, which is actually a really good looking play that they run. They see a mouse in the house and they go, "Hey, Rudy, let's get you the ball in the post." And I'm sitting there thinking, "You don't do this with Demarcus, but they on defense, 
the distinct difference to to me tonight was jaw dropping. I was just floored by it. So yeah, he had to have gone in there, and I don't know if maybe George had to like explaining yourself to somebody else sometimes, like not your yes men, you know, that are around you, and you're you're you have to explain like I am doing this because this, and then it sounds funny, and then you're like, you know what? Maybe we should make a change. And it's the change that everybody's been asking for all year. And it's the change that everybody said they were going to make coming out of the all-star break. It just seems like Thibodeau might have been the catalyst. And you're right. We will never know. But it, the coincidence is just too much. Yeah, the, it is too much. So, And also, I mean, I think what we've seen, again, the difference between the Kings with somewhat decent Marco Bellinelli and horrible Marco Bellinelli is night and day. You mean Marco Bellinelli on DirecTV and Marco Bellinelli on cable? Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, really, the difference between the two different Marco Bellinellis now, I mean, come on, man. Marco Bellinelli missed two free throws in the final, like, 10 seconds. Did I, he, I, I was, I was fast-forwarding through the free throw scenes. Um, did he miss another two late tonight? Oh, he missed two in the in the final. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. He missed one. He missed two. Collison missed oh, one. I'm glad you brought that up because they did something completely crazy at the end of the game because they didn't want Rondo to have the ball because they thought they were going to foul Rondo. Yeah. They let Marco run point. They ran post action for all of the fourth quarter, and then to get the ball out of Rondo's hands, they had Marco run point, and the play got really, really squirrely, and then Demarcus got fouled on a drive to the hoop and got bailed out. But I sat there and I thought, why is the, why is Marco Bellinelli running point? Right. I know he can shoot free throws, but then I had the thought, I was like, but he's been missing his free throws lately. Like crazy. What are these guys thinking? He's still, he's a great free throw shooter historically. And the one thing that I'll point out too, is that Darren Collison has had a long history of missing one of two in crunch time. (laughs) Now he hit his final two, which was huge, but he missed one of two right before that. Cousins missed one of two. Bellinelli missed two of two. All of this is in the final minute of the game. I mean, they missed four free throws in the final minute of the game. They missed, Aaron, they shot 10 of 20 in the fourth quarter. And I think they only took 26 total. They came into the fourth with only six free throw attempts. And in the fourth quarter, they just bricked and bricked and bricked and bricked. I I have no idea what to even say about what they were doing in the fourth quarter. DeMarcus's free throw shooting has been bad this year. You know and what? It wasn't bad to start. He somewhere uh, mid-season, he switched his to to a high arcing free throw. And I don't I, know. I, I've my theory that, on this. But that's what it. Yeah, I, is I don't that know. he's because he he's expanded his shooting uh, range. That he's got a little bit more. Maybe it is the arc, but he he probably has a little bit too much push and flip on his on his release. Yes, and that to me has been sticking in my mind all year because I'm like, how does Demarcus go from seventy one point eight? Let's see, he's seventy two percent this year, and then last year, what was he at seventy eight percent? So yeah, he's a much better free throw shooter, and it's been this. uh, It's almost it. It, it almost looks like it's fake, like a fake flip out of his hand. It's really strange. I don't know what he's doing there, but it, it's to me, it's not something that I would, I would go tell young players to do because I don't think it's it's that productive. I mean, he's he's still like, he's only shooting forty four point six percent from the field, 
and he's shooting 35.7% from three. He's actually hit 63s on the season, but you know, he, he needs to improve, uh, that shooting, the, the free throw stroke, especially when he's getting to the game 10.3 times a night. I mean, that's just ridiculous. The last player to do that, I believe, I think we discussed this with Shaquille O'Neal. To shoot over 10 free throws a game. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But and yeah, I think James Harden was right there too. He was really close last year, the year before. I, I think it, the, the one thing that worries me, the one like thing, if you said they're going to keep doing this, like DeMarcus Cousins has got to stop driving to the hoop so much. It's so many turnovers. They're all live ball turnovers. It's killing the defense. They, they really got to just reel that in. So what you're saying is that bad offense leads to bad defense? That is what I'm saying. Is that, are you George Carl? Are you wearing a George Carl mask right now? <laughs> it's a mask. <laughs> <laughs> if awesome. anybody knows what that's from, you get internet points. Oh, man. I, yeah. It's a Simpsons episode. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I, I don't know. Do we have anything else to cover? The Kings have had another up and down week. They, they won three straight. They lost four straight. Now they've won one. We've seen this act before. They lost four. They won one. They lost four. Uh, they can't do that if they want to have any hope. Um, I don't know. I talked to to Omri Caspi about this. I guess we should probably mention that. Uh, Omri, during the, uh, during the first half of the podcast, uh, talked to me, Aaron, about the fact that he's talked to the, the team. He sent the team a, a text and said, look, uh, this is it, you know, we're, we're all, we have to start playing for each other. We have to, or we're going to be out of here. Someone's going to, we're all going to get traded. Half of us are going to get traded. We like playing together, whatever it is, there's going to be major moves and people are going to get dealt and it's going to be our fault because we didn't just, you know, start playing better together as a team. And, you know, people might not get to, it, it affects their families and all this stuff. And, to me, it, it really stands out that this team does like each other. And that's really strange because the Kings don't typically like like each other. So I'm not sure what to make of that. But I believed him. I believed Omri when he said it. And I think this team, from everything I've seen this season, I think they do like each other. I got a final thought. And it kind of plays into the whole effort discussion that's going on. And this is not just limited to the Kings. You hear this from coaches everywhere. You hear it from players everywhere. And it's a simple way to answer a question of why you why you lost. Because we didn't have the effort. But I think this team, if they can look inward and say, we need to play smarter rather than focusing on effort, that to me will pay more dividends than anything else there were a lot of plays they left on the table tonight and a lot came down to dallas really not exploiting the king's um flaws you could take a king's fan out of the stands they could list 20 things that dallas didn't do tonight um they have to play smart in order to walk this tight rope of you know winning 16 going 16 and 6 over the next 22 games so that would be my final thought um put your thinking caps on fellas all right. All right. So uh, for clarification, James Harden has averaged uh, over 10 free throws a game three of the last four seasons, barely 10.2, 10.2, 9.1, 10.2, 10 10.2, and 10.4 in his four seasons in Houston. So, um, I, but there is a stat and I'm not sure what it is. I remember that there is a, a crazy stat that uh, that does include Shaquille O'Neal and 
DeMarcus Cousins and foul shot attempts. Why you gotta salt my stat, man? What are you like, Tony Reale now? I, I don't know. I, I'm just telling you. I like. I knew that James Harden. I knew James Harden was there. Well, you know who might also be there is Danilo Gallinari. He he popped in my head. He's been shooting free throws like crazy. But not that many. He had a, he's had a couple nights this year where he's shooting like 18, 19. Really? Yeah. Harden, though, does it every night. He has 15 a night, and then he'll have like seven. You know, that's how he gets up over 10. Here's an interesting stat, too, because I know you love him and you want him to be the point guard for the Kings forever. Um, Rajon Rondo, 12.1 assists on the season. He's up to 12.1. Really, that's that's incredible. I don't remember the last time someone averaged 12, but it's not any time in the last, like... 10 years he's got to clean it up man there was a play in the fourth quarter where he's palming the ball which gives you a little bit extra control over the ball and you could do some things you can't do with the two-handed pass but it was a really nonchalant pass that just got blocked and then they went down to the other side for two and this is the leader of the team this is a guy that is known for his basketball iq and he has to know at that point in time, you've got to get that pass on the money. And I don't know what it is, if it's a stylistic thing or even stuff like the the uh, delay of game stuff. Like Rondo is going to be a key to this. If, if they're going to go 16 and 6, he's going to have to really identify and pick his spots where he wants to run a whirling dervish, you know, super pace type of a deal. Him and Darren. Darren drove into two guys tonight where he had no business going one-on-two just so he could try his little hanging, driving layup that he's so good at. He's had a couple of bad turnover nights, but uh, Rondo has bad turnover nights, like, almost. I I mean, like... But to uh, your point about this being a team that they like each other, I think this is, like, a perfect time. Like, the fact that Thibodeau comes in and Carl makes this change, I don't know. It feels like the beginning... It could be, I should qualify, it could be the beginning of something interesting and as one twitter follower said it could be that they go on a winning streak don't make the playoffs lose their pick <laughs> there it is so you it, know it but it feels snowballs. like that. yeah it snowballs yeah no i mean that's that's very possible i think that's always been on the outside that, that that could happen that the kings could actually lose their pick if they do go on a run and some people cringe at the thought of that and other people are like man let's try let's go for it um yeah i don't i don't even know what to make of it I, all i know is that they need to be heading in a direction by the end of the season. And whether that direction is blowing it up or do we really, do we think we have the right ingredients here? We just had the wrong chef, which is very possible that that's because I think that that is their feeling right now, that they, they like the team that they built. They could add one big free agent this summer and another top draft pick. Or trade that draft pick along with some other players to get the shooting guard that they need. And and so, boom, they, they think that they could have that team like, boom, out of nowhere. Here it is. And so I, I honestly believe that that's more where they're leaning than to blow the whole thing up like Omri Caspi is worried about. Um, but they have to know this last 20-something games, they have to come out of it and have an idea of did we blow – is it – is it just the scheme that's killed us this year, or can we save this group of players, keep them together, and go one more year and see if we can blow this thing, blow the top off it? I'll go one one more one more deep thought here. 
what if George changes, runs through the post, continues with the defensive scheme, they make the playoffs, they look like world beaters, do you bring back George Carl? I've heard second round. <laughs> That's what I've heard as well, but this is a pretty this if they go 16 <laughs> and 6 and they make the playoff, that's going to be a lot of wins. That's going to be a lot of sports center time. You know, the Carl Media is going to throw a huge party all over the United States. And they, they will, Kings will be a story. And it will be like a redemption story. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I've heard second round, and I've also heard no chance. So Yeah, yeah I've kind of heard the, the same thing. So, yeah, But that's an interesting little and... wrinkle there, because now they've set the bar so low that they can high jump over a different bar into a different discussion all right okay well that's gonna do it uh we're not gonna keep dragging you out we're not even gonna talk about demarcus cousins almost punching stephen adams which he was he was never gonna punch stephen adams and and even still i I love stephen adams sometimes someone needs to be punched people sometimes they need to be punched that was the most dirty it's like the guy's got a bad ankle you're just gonna rip it off somebody's bad mustache needs to be knocked right off their face sometimes that happens now and again i I don't even want to get into the rondo uh delay of game situation i i'm with all of you i have no idea i looked him in the eye only in sacramento i looked at him i looked him in the eye in the locker room and we were like what was going on there I don't want to talk about it because I'll get fined. Okay, you'll get fined for what? For for not taking the ball anymore? I mean, three times, and you cost your team three points when you're already an underdog by seven points to, I mean, again, they t- a six-point lead to eight at the half because you won't take the ball with 1.2 America needs the Kings in the playoffs. And face it, America, you need the Kings in the playoffs because America. Where, could, where could you get this kind of a mixture of personalities and players and, and just chaos? Dysfunctionality, yeah. America, you need this team. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Special thanks to Mr. Omri Caspi. Uh, Me and Omri have known each other for a long time, and and it was good to have him in on the podcast. That's a first, actually, which is very strange. So uh, for Aaron Bruski, I am James Hamm. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Maybe the Kings will be on a win streak. 